what's up guys? My name is Michelangelo Clairvo, and once again, I'll be the host of the Open Social Society podcast, and this is episode 2B coming up. So, because school got a little hectic, I wasn't able to upload this episode as early as I had hoped initially, but, um... Hey, that's life, and we're going to pick it up right where we left off last week. So for those of you that didn't have the chance to listen to last week's episode, I kind of approached the subject of racism in my early childhood and um, talked about the reverberating effects that lasted into my adulthood here. And this, I was kind of telling you all this with the topic of sharing in mind, and we're going to continue to expand on how I got so comfortable with sharing. In the previous episode, we left off uh, where I had just visited my counselor for the very first time in Waterloo at school was really an enlightening experience for me. And with the help of my counselor, I was really able to at least try to get on top of my academics and besides that, begin to approach the things that were also happening in my personal life at the time. And he really uh, he really taught me how to tell others, such as my professors, my my friends, uh, my family members, what kind of struggles I was dealing with. And he, he really showed me that it was okay to ask for help. And this is something that was very foreign to me at the time because I was really um, in a state of mind where Everything I had done previously kind of came from just myself and nobody else. And it's a sad state when you can't even attribute your success or share your success with someone, such as your parents or your family, that helped mold you into the person you realistically are. And it was really my ego that was talking at the time because I I considered all my success to be of my own doing. So why would I even ask someone else for help? Because how could they possibly help me? Everything I've done was of my own doing. So I can get myself out of this situation again. And in that first counseling session, my ego definitely took a beating. Walls that had been standing in order to keep myself out of my own emotions and my own sense of self were slowly being broken down brick by brick. And my ego was kind of really was realistically what was holding those walls up. I guess you could say my ego was more or less the mortar to those bricks. So through repeat visits with my counselor in Waterloo, I got more accustomed and, and really had to, at this point, share with my professors, at least, or and my TAs, that I was going through these struggles with mental illness, depression, anxiety, and... My counselor was also kind enough to write up a letter from himself just kind of explaining my situation a bit more and asking uh, my professors to provide me with some consideration while I was going through these struggles. And they were definitely quite considerate. My professors, they I don't know if they understood, but they they really did provide me with that consideration. And it, it gave me hope to actually get back on top of my academics. Now, while I was getting more comfortable with sharing to people like professors and TAs, I was still struggling immensely to share anything really with those that were actually caring for me. For instance, the football team, my roommates, and my own family really, even my girlfriend. I really still couldn't cross that boundary. And even crucial people that were part of my social support network, I, I really couldn't even approach them, not from their doing, but really just because we only started breaking down the, that ego of mine. And 
that was just a step that went too far for me. I I really couldn't bear to to kind of break the image that I was trying to put up there of of me being a perfect student of me um kind of doing what I was supposed to do all the time. I I always did the right thing, blah 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 blah. That image was was everything to me still. And to the people that I really dealt with every single day or almost every day, I didn't want to be known as that person that went back on my commitment for this invisible reason still. And and that really shows that I I didn't fully understand still what was going on with me and that need and and want to uphold whatever image I was trying to put out at the time of, of being a football player and, and a, a student athlete in whatever program, that need to hold on to that and cling to it so heavily was ultimately my downfall. So besides that internal battle between my consciousness really and my ego, um, there was another barrier that was in front of me that really wasn't allowing me to to share who I really was and, and what I was really feeling and going through at the moment. And that was the thought of not wanting to burden others with your own problems and feeling as though they're already going through too much to really even deal with your problems or, or think about them. And at the same time, if it's someone that you really cared about, most likely they know exactly what you're you're doing, what your aspirations are, what your goals are, because you've told them and you've, in a sense, since you've told them, you feel as though you've made a verbal contract with them. And if you break that in any sense, it's like you're letting them down. And in your mind at the time, or at least in my mind, it feels as though if I break that verbal contract that I made, I'm done with them. Our friendship has to be over. Uh, there can't possibly be anything else after that. I broke the contract. And it's it's, it's a silly thought, but it's it's something that we struggle with a lot and uh or I did at least. But at the end of the day, if if we if you know you have people around you that genuinely care about you and and want the best for you, yes, those people are definitely supporting you for this one specific goal that you set out there and and they're probably pushing you towards that goal, but you shouldn't feel as though you're no longer able to change your path just because you, again, made that verbal contract with someone as well. Like they, they want you to succeed in anything, not just necessarily that one goal that you set. If, if you're to change goals, if they genuinely care about you, they will support you in whatever you want to really pursue, unless it's something terrible. In that case, if they care about you, they should probably tell you not to pursue it. But hey, so my ego fighting against me, my feeling of burdening others, as well as not wanting to tell them that I'm actually failing in what I'm pursuing because I don't want to break that verbal contract with them. Those three factors really led to the complete just breakdown and decay of my social support network and, and kind of started my mental isolation. I kind of put myself on this island where 
I'm suffering and I know I need to reach out for help because my counselor is also telling me to do so and I know the benefits that I received from sharing just with him and I can only imagine the benefits of sharing with someone that I actually care about and I know they actually care about me as well. However, I put myself on this island because I'm afraid to burden others, I'm afraid to to tell them of what's really going on in terms of my health, my mental health. And then as well, just, just the general fear of breaking my social contracts with others. So despite receiving counseling and, and having repeated sessions, I still wasn't actually following the recommendations I was getting from, from my counselor. And he was really trying to get me to create my own mental health resource by enhancing my social support network. And for those of you that don't know what I mean when I say social support network. Your social support network is made up of your your close friends, family, uh, a co-worker that you know you can trust, whoever is around you, your uncle, your aunt, whoever is around you that you trust and, and you know you can rely on when you are in a time of need. That is your social support network, and it's those individuals that basically provide you with with multiple mental health resources. As long as they're aware of your issues and you've been transparent with them, they then have an opportunity to, to become more knowledgeable on the subject by you sharing. And that is actually one of the main goals here at the Open Social Society. I want people to be more comfortable with sharing so that more of us that maybe don't even suffer from mental illness or aren't yet involved in the scene, um, we can at least be knowledgeable at, at as to what mental health looks like, what the experiences are with it. And I really want it to stop being so hush-hush. And, and through the study of individual experiences, we can then kind of get a better grasp of this these vague umbrella terms that are depression, anxiety, and so forth, and, and just mental illness in general. Now, why is this so important, though? Um, for a lot of students, at least, young adults right now, uh, since when we're in school, we're, we kind of rely on, on the school services to, to uh, provide us with everything we need in terms of counseling, academic advisors, blah, 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 blah. So uh, when we actually consult them for help, when we finally muster up the courage to really ask someone for help for something that we've been kept hidden for so long or, or we're just generally scared about, like mental illness... We expect that help to come fairly immediately, but for a lot of us, it seems as though it's taking months, or weeks is even too long. And along with that, then moving on to pursuing private institutions and private services to help out with their mental struggles, um, that financial burden comes along with it as well. If you're already in a rut financially, you don't want to have to shell out cash to actually get the treatment that you know you need, and that really becomes a barrier for treatment as well. So the realization that by engaging in honest and authentic conversation with people you already love and care about can provide you relief and can actually form a, another mental health resource in your social support network, that is, is something amazing. And it's, it's something that should be empowering to you. So those are kind of the benefits of having or working on your social support network and having that as one of your resources that is readily available and is just a text or a phone call away rather than a three-month wait. <laughs> um, so having said that, though, 
I didn't follow any of that advice. Um, <laughs> I just went on my way. It was a one-man island, and I was not getting off that island, okay? And nobody was joining me either, so that was my island. I owned it. So on my one-man island, I failed school. This time completely. I was because remember I was already on probation from the last semester or whatever, and it uh, <laughs> it didn't work out again. So this time I failed completely. I was forced to actually just go back home and wait another year to apply again. Uh, so yeah, I did that. I I went home. So I was at home now. Um, I still wasn't really following the advice I got from my amazing counselor, and at this point I didn't really know what else to do, but go to work, I guess. Like, I wasn't in school anymore. I wasn't officially a student. I wasn't even an athlete anymore because if I'm not in school, I'm not on the football team either. So that was just done. So all of a sudden, I went from having the potential to <laughs> go into engineering, go into economics, whatever, finance, be a student athlete with CFL aspirations. All of a sudden, all of that, which I so prided myself in, was was all gone. So then in that sense, I just, I had literally no identity anymore. And not being able to call myself anything, not having any title, whether it be student, athlete, anything like that, that was tough for me. So I was no longer doing counseling because, well, I don't even know. <laughs> At the time, I guess I I just felt like everything was kind of over. So why even try with my, my treatment of my mental illness that I know now is a thing, but I still didn't have a, a full understanding of what it was and how urgently I really needed care. So what I did was I got a part-time job. Um, I figured I'll start with one and then I'll see how the workload goes. And then I was like, okay, I can handle this. So I got another part-time job at the mall. And then like once my schedule kind of got started getting filled up, I got back into the rhythm of things. I, I saw that I was kind of like getting on a, an upbeat or it was going well, at least it was kind of excited. I had two new jobs, but then they just got, I'm not going to lie. They just got really boring. They were very entry level positions in a mall and I, I just couldn't really deal with it anymore, knowing that there was nothing else behind it. It's not like I was working this job in order to pay for something like school or or another goal, but I, I really had nothing else to do. So I kind of saw that as the, the end all be all just working, but without a cause. And that kind of that idea really had a negative impact on my on my well-being at the time as well. I kind of started showing up late to work. Um, my anxiety was at an all-time high. Uh, basically, what what would occur is, for instance, I would I would wake up. First thing I would do before I was able to get out of bed, before I was able to do anything, I would wake up to immediately this. I've described it previously, uh, this whirlwind, this tornado of thoughts at the time. And I would sit on the side of my bed just having woken up and I would just be stuck in my own mind. These thoughts would come racing through my head and, and before I was able to really even think about what they were trying to tell me or whatnot, they, were, they would be gone. 
So it would just be one thought in, one thought out, or or multiple at a time, just leaving me with completely incomprehensible thoughts. And oftentimes when I, I would be caught, when I would be just stuck in my own head, trying to figure these thoughts out, so much time would go by without me even realizing. Again, just waking up out of bed thinking I've sat there for five minutes, I look at my my clock again and and all of a sudden an hour, an hour and a half would have gone by. And that's not normal. And it's definitely not healthy. Even the one person I was most comfortable with being my girlfriend, even with her, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I couldn't talk about what I was feeling because literally I didn't know what I was feeling. And it, it really started to form a barrier even in our relationship because I, I was unable to get over that hump really break that wall down there was um there was one moment though where i truly felt the effects of what i was going through on someone else uh, my girlfriend and i we were we were hanging out on the the rooftop of a condo and i i don't know why i did this it's it's a rather insensitive joke but i kind of acted literally did kind of a, a jumping motion off the edge like you know you like pretend like you're gonna put your leg over and I don't I really don't know why I did this but I thought it would be funny in some kind of sick way and immediately she actually broke down crying and she told me she she thought I was actually going to jump and for the first time I realized what kind of damage I was doing, not only to myself, but to those that care about me by not telling them what was going on in my life and by not letting them in to my mind. After that incident occurred, my girlfriend consulted her stepdad who is in the military and who is a major proponent of mental health and mental health awareness in the military. Um, and he really makes sure that, that people get the help they need. So when my girlfriend explained kind of what I was experiencing and what she could observe, he he kind of knew right away that these were dead tell signs that I was really going through a crisis at the moment. So what he did was he he actually came over immediately and he he basically said like look kid you're 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 getting help and it's it's okay. And he he drove me straight to the hospital. At the hospital I I was really for the first time I was I was really forced to just put myself out into the open and just explain all the factors that were kind of playing a role in or from what I could understand at the time that were playing a role in my my mental illness and why I've been acting the way I have and and what's been causing this intense sadness and and feeling of inadequacy within me after briefly being assessed by a mental health nurse I was basically given two options either I can start to consult the outpatient services, meaning I, I just have scheduled appointments within the hospital, come by to just 
do checkups on my my mental health being and really start a treatment plan or I I could voluntarily um, admit myself into the hospital just to kind of do a more intensive look into my well-being and how I act on a on a 24-hour basis so what happened then was I was voluntarily admitted into the hospital to be under the care and guidance of my doctor for the next uh, 24 to 72 hours I'll probably do a full episode on my like detailed experience in the hospital uh, if you guys want later Um, if you do want that just follow me at open social society and shoot me a dm and uh, just ask me some questions about it even if you you you're just wondering like how that experience went be happy to answer those questions for you and sorry that's at open social society on instagram but at the hospital my my family was obviously brought in uh they were made aware that i was there we had basically a sit down with my psychiatrist as well as a social worker my doctor was very very skilled at kind of pointing out certain moments in my life that would have caused such such tension and and stress that that kind of build up built up rather to the point it was at now and he really was able to make that message clear to my family and myself this was for the very first time that i was really in a situation where someone was almost fighting for my cause and fighting for my well-being in explaining that situation to my family and he took such a large load off of off of that situation a a situation i was so fearful of for the last however many years and at the hospital as well i i learned the basics of of uh, cbt cognitive behavioral therapy and and that actually was a a huge push forward for me as it as it really uh it really was able to turn my mental illness almost into this fun little game that I could actually affect and and uh really start to mold for myself by observing my own feelings and and my own emotions and and my reactions to certain situations and events cognitive behavioral therapy um realizes that certain detrimental events are unavoidable in life and that's just how it goes. But things that we can control are how we personally react to those events. And that is what's inherently important. When we think of a reaction, we tend to think of almost like a, a reflex, something that just automatically happens, uh, something that we have no control over. But what CBT teaches you is is basically through the observation of our reactions and the close observation of them, we can kind of start to form a sense of who we really are and what our true desires and, and, and wants and needs are. But you really have to be neutral and, and, and be able to scrutinize yourself. And that concept of, of being critical towards yourself was quite easy in a sense of of me just saying oh i'm not worthy blah 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 blah. but actually having constructive criticism towards yourself that was something else that was something i'd 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 never really tried before i'd always been good at pointing out negatives but i never actually tried to work with the negatives i think that's a corny saying isn't it but whatever so after making those realizations, my, my mental health definitely improved, but I was still kind of struggling to, to be disciplined with myself and, and really apply that, that concept of, of an- analyzing my emotions and my thoughts consistent. And 
it wasn't until months later, um, I went to the hospital in end of 2017. Uh, well, early 2018, uh, in February, my father ended up passing away. And my father's passing was, uh, it was a very interesting event because while it was so sad and, and uh, I miss him so much, but at the same time, his suffering on this world was over. For so many years, he was struggling with his disease of dementia and then later Alzheimer's that um, in a sense, I, I didn't want him to have to go through that again anymore. As so at the same time as being a terrible and tragic event in my life, someone I loved so dearly was finally getting their release. And in a sense, I, I, I was able to come to terms with it. And um, I received closure. And that chapter of my life was, was thereby closed. After his death, I started to take my treatment and um, and my emotions, my my story, my self worth a lot more seriously. And I started journaling for a while. It was really a way for me to get all my emotions down and 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 not forget them. So next time I'm picking through my mind, I I can just open up my journal and and figure out exactly what I was thinking in reaction to a certain event on that day. That was really the start to my personal healing journey. Now you guys hear me talk about um, my struggles and you hear me refer to them often as shadows and accepting these shadows and allowing them to become part of you. So let me end off by explaining what I mean by that. For most of us, there are areas of our mind that we generally tend to avoid, things we don't want to address, things that hurt to address. And those very things are your shadows, whether they be certain memories or emotions that got brought up. Those are all shadows that we don't want to analyze out of fear. And when we just take that step towards being like, hey, what am I feeling right now? And why am I feeling it? All of a sudden, that feeling becomes not something to fear, but rather something that we can actually interact with and analyze and actually get down to the bottom of, of why it's appearing. Too often we forget that our emotions, especially the negative ones, are, are signals to ourselves that something is up. And it's not necessarily a bad thing that you're receiving these signals. It's just how our body actually lets us know. Emotions will come and go like waves in the water. Sometimes the water will be really choppy. Other times it will be completely still. But the whole point is that you just continue navigating towards your end goal or your mission, whether that be mental wellness or if a certain memory or feeling is, is blocking you from really pursuing your external goals. And that's why I really invite you to shed a light on your shadow. Because what happens when we shed a light on a shadow? It disappears. But not only does it disappear, you realize that that scary figure or event that was once ahead of you is just another part of you. Now that the light's on it, you're like, oh, 
this is just me. It's just another part of you. And just like those quote unquote negative emotions, they are a part of you. And you just need to be able to accept them and actually accept them for being a signal and not something that's trying to hurt you and something that needs to be feared. And when you no longer fear what's inside of you, you can really take control back of your own life and and start working towards those goals that you set aside because you weren't really capable of pursuing them in the moment. And this goes for someone that isn't necessarily mentally ill as well but just wants to work towards even better mental wellness and ever since the idea of becoming a social worker kind of stumbled upon me i have held being transparent in a rather high regard and that's what i want to do with this podcast as well and being comfortable with the truth of my own story my own life was first and foremost in that and being comfortable with sharing that truth is something that i i worked on for a while the general lack of knowledge surrounding mental health from people i ran into either through work or or from my friends coming to me was deeply concerning and i found myself having to pull experiences from my own story in order to rather in order to explain better to them how they could possibly go about it and and what the resources were that they could consider to uh, make use of. And when people started to come to me for these types of issues, that's the first time I realized that even a negative story such as my own seemingly, to me, seemingly worthless story of, of struggling through life with mental illness actually had benefits for other people. And at the same time, I realized the power of one's voice and realistically how important it is to to get more voices out there for people that are suffering alone. And when you are going through depression and anxiety, oftentimes you, such as myself, you'll, you'll isolate yourself because you, you're not entirely sure what's going on or who to go to. And that effect is, is detrimental. And when I then think back to the suffering of my dad and how his voice was essentially taken away by the Alzheimer's disease to the point where he could no longer speak at all, I refused to be silenced by myself, by my own thoughts of inadequacy. I refused to waste the opportunity of my voice and see myself as unworthy to share my story because so many people out there don't have the chance and don't have the opportunity to share their own story. And that's why I created the Open Social Society podcast, because I deserve to have a voice, but so do you. So that's it for episode 2B, guys. I hope that serves as a pretty good introduction to me and my thoughts on mental health. Peace out, guys. Thank you.